You are listening to a message from Parkway Church in Karana. We hope today's message blesses and encourages you as you listen. If you'd like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Um, I'm excited about what's happening here. You would have seen on the, the video announcements there um, the Easter that's coming up, and we hopefully you've had a chance to um, grab some of these promos that we have, these door hangers, and, and handed them out. Um, I know that if you do about 10 to 15 homes, it probably take you about 15 minutes, and that's 10 to 15 homes that, that know about Easter, and it's a great opportunity um, to, to target our community, maybe target a family or a neighbor that you've been wanting to invite to church but haven't had the opportunity and you can't cross paths with them, or maybe they, they're a little hesitant to step foot on a church building, but you can invite them to an Easter egg hunt because they got young kids. I don't know. Just invite them out. We're going we're gonna to be hopefully handing this, these out tonight as a group if you are willing to join us. Weather permitting, I, I hear that, that there's like 70% chance of rain now. Um, so if it is raining, um, we will not be. But if it is not raining, we will be. So just keep um, posted on social media. Um, and this is important. And this is important because people need Jesus. People need Jesus, and Easter is all about Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when you look at the statistics, it's alarming that most unchurched people will attend church one time of the year. Well, two, but most of the time, one time a year, and that's Easter. That's Easter. Statistically speaking, unchurched people will come on Easter. And often, they're just waiting for an invitation. And so I encourage you, whether it's through a door hanger or another way, um, just invite somebody to come. Invite somebody to come. You don't know how your, your quick little conversation or you hanging that on a door might change someone's life, right? Change the, their eternal destination. And I think that's, that's important. And as long as heaven and hell are reality, it's important that we be sharing the good news about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, I believe that God has some growth in store for us as a church, and I've been talking with some of you, and I, I believe that you see what I see, um, and I just want to give you some pictures of what I see this morning before we get into the Word. I picture people coming and reconnecting with Jesus. When I think about Parkway and I think about the season ahead, I, I picture the prodigals, right, coming home and returning home. Um, I picture people who, who are far from God, who are unchurched background, coming and meeting Jesus for the first time. How cool is that when someone walks in the doors and they're like, I don't know anything, I don't even know really who Jesus is, and all of a sudden they're introduced to a very real person right? That is cool. And that's what I picture for our season. I picture people connecting with other people in the body of Christ and doing life together, right? Actually knowing each other, like knowing who sits on the other side of the room, who sits at the back, like getting to know one another. Maybe we're, we share meals around a table or maybe you go do camping or something crazy like that. I don't know, but doing life together, I picture, I picture people who thought that their time was done, that their season was over, rediscovering that God's not done with them yet. I think about uh, Caleb in the book of Joshua, chapter 14. He was about 85 years old. They'd conquered much of the land. And he says, I'm still as vigorous as I once were. I still got some fight in me. I can take on some giants. And he was 85. So just because you're old doesn't mean God's not done with you. Okay? Just God's not done. I picture, I picture and see passion building up in this house. But in order for us to accomplish these things, in order for us to see this growth, we need to take ground in our lives. We need to take ground. I believe that God has set, set this before us, but in order for us to get there and to walk there and see people come to know Jesus and see people discover their gifts and use those gifts for his kingdom, we need to take ground in our lives, and that's the series we're in today. It's called Taking Ground. This is the second last in this series before um, we get into Easter. 
And the idea behind this series is that there is ground, there is territory to be taken and occupied in and around our lives, space that is occupied by forces that need to be conquered, and people that need to be reached, and obstacles that need to be overcome. And we're talking about, or I'm talking about, in our hearts. Like, not just, not just out external things, but in our hearts, and in our minds, and in our homes, in your home, and in your family, in your workplace, and in our community. My hope is that, um, is that we become deliberate. Maybe you've already done this. My hope is you have. But we become deliberate about taking ground in these areas. At the beginning of this se- series, I mentioned the right of conquest. I think it will be up on the screen there. The right of conquest, it was a principle of international law before World War II. Basically, it was the right of the conqueror to own and occupy space that was taken by force. Not that I think we need to take our community by force. But sometimes, sometimes we need to be intentional. And we need to be active about engaging these areas in our lives. It's not going to happen on its own. It's not going to happen on its own. And so maybe that's a part of your heart that you have yet to submit to Jesus. Maybe that's all of it. Maybe that's a family member that doesn't know Jesus and you've got to rage war on your hands and knees in prayer for them and for their salvation. Right? Maybe that's a, a neighbor that needs a good dose of God's presence and so you need to go and have an intentional conversation with them after you, you, know, you get out of your car after work one night on a Tuesday or whatever and you see them every day and you've been avoiding them. But we need to be intentional because somebody's going to occupy the area. And as followers of Jesus Christ, if we don't advance for the kingdom of God in our heart and in our mind and in our homes and in our community, the enemy will. And he will occupy the space. So we need to take ground. So looking at specifically this morning's stories in the book of Joshua, because Joshua, and I've mentioned this over this series if you've been with us, but just as a reminder, Joshua and God's people were physically taking new ground in their life, right? They were, they were promised a new land as they exited slavery out of Egypt, but in order to live within the promised land, they had to conquer it first. Um, and if you haven't already, I would encourage you to read the book of Joshua. It's a really good story, really good read. Um, good principles in there, uh, good leadership lessons as well. But this morning we're looking at a tougher message um, found in the story of Joshua today. It's the kind of story that doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies, right? It's not the rainbows and unicorn kind of story. Um, It's a tougher one. It's one that doesn't necessarily excite you to take charge. It can be very humbling. It can be very humbling, but it's useful for revealing something to us. It's a story of a man named Achan. Achan had sinned against God, um, and because of his sin, the whole nation of Israel was liable to destruction, suffered, and he and his family lost their lives, right? This is not the kind of story we want to talk about, Pastor Cornwall. We can't, we, can't, we can't avoid the tough parts. We can't avoid the tough parts of Scripture. We've got to look at it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, let us know, because I want to help you find one. We might have some, I think there's some New Testaments in the back, but we want to help you find one. If you have a phone, there's a really good free Bible app called YouVersions. There's lots of Bible plans on there, but, you know, we want to help you find a Bible. Grab a Bible. Turn to Joshua chapter 7, and as we do, let's just uh, pray one more time. I encourage you to bow your heads. Father, we just thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for your presence in the Spirit of God, and we just, uh, we're grateful that we get to experience a meaningful, real, very tangible relationship with you. And God, we just pray this morning that as we turn to your word, God, that you'd speak to our hearts, you'd speak to every mind, speak to every spirit that's this morning. God, maybe there's something hidden in us that we need to confess, we need to bring to the light, God. Maybe there's something, God, that's that we've been doing or, or saying, God, or been a part of that's impacting those around us. I pray, Father God, that you change us this morning by your word. You challenge us, you convict us out of love for us in the name of Jesus. We bless you, God. 
above all else, we pray that you're exalted this morning, you're glorified in, in this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. So I have, uh, I have kids, um, and sometimes I sit back and think, like, I got kids. God, are you sure? Like, it's, it's crazy. And, and you're going to find that most of my stories come from my kids because stuff always happens when you've got kids. Stuff always happens when you've got kids. And if you don't have kids, it's okay. You're just getting more sleep than the rest of us. But um, I have kids, and I don't know about you. I don't know if your kids are like this or were like this, or maybe you were a kid like this, but my kids hide stuff from me all the time. All the time. For a few reasons, I think. Sometimes it's because they don't want to do something. Eli, our, our oldest son, he's five. Uh, last week had an infection, and so he had antibiotic cream that he had to put on this infection, and he hates putting on any sort of cream. He hates it. You'd think you'd be cutting off a limb the way he acted when you put on any sort of cream, even if it's like a, you know, eczema rash or anything like that. He hates it, and so he had this antibiotic cream that he had to put on, and while I was here up in Corona on Monday, I think it was, um, Jody was telling me that he was hiding the cream from her because he didn't want her to put it on. And so one morning she found it in the bathtub, like just trying to hide it. Um, sometimes my kid hides things because they're embarrassed. Because they're embarrassed. My son Joshua, who's three, um, is potty trained. I, but, but sometimes he just decides that he doesn't care. And when that happens, usually what he does is he goes up to his room and he pulls out a new pair of pants and underwear out of the drawer and he gets changed. And then he, he shoves his, his soiled you know, pants and underwear in the hamper. And he thinks he's hidden this really well, except he doesn't realize that we notice him coming down the stairs or wherever we may be in new clothes, and the smell of urine is just, like, seeping through the air. Actually, it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Yeah. He, he, I'm, I'm in the bedroom. I'm packing to come up this weekend, and, and he comes in, and all of a sudden he's wearing different pants, and he says, I just decided to wear these. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like three years old. I'm like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. So sometimes my kids hide things because they really want something, but they know they'll get in trouble for having it or doing it. Um, our boys aren't allowed toys in their bed at night. Uh, they can have stuffies, you know, stuffed animals or whatnot. But if they have toys, they just don't go to sleep, and they share a room. They're in bunk beds. And so they can't have toys. And so uh, a few nights ago, I was putting them to bed, and I was getting ready to sit on the cushion. We read a story every night. I sat on this cushion, and, and me and Joshua, I don't know what we were talking about. We were talking about the story or something. And I look up from the cushion, and there's Eli three feet in front of me shoving toys in his pants. <laughs> and I look up, and there's the look on his face is like, oh. And he starts to take them out. <laughs> and sheepish, sheepishly says, but I want them. I'm thinking, then hide them in a different place. Like, don't do it right in <laughs> I want them. Have you ever hidden something from someone? Have you ever hidden something from someone? Maybe it's something you wanted, but you knew you shouldn't have. Maybe it's something you did, and you didn't want to get caught doing. Maybe it's something you know would hurt someone else if they found out. That's the story that we're looking at today, Achan, uh, found in Joshua chapter 7. Achan was a guy who took something he wasn't supposed to have. And he hid it from the people, and more importantly, from God, or he tried to. He saw something that he wanted, but it was something that God specifically had told the people not to touch because if they took it, there would be major, major consequences. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. We often don't think about the consequences, but sin has major consequences. Paul the Apostle, who wrote 13 books in the New Testament, he was a, he was a, a preacher, he was a teacher, a pastor, missionary, church planner, bishop. In his letter to the church in Rome, he said this. He said, the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Sin has consequences. It has wages, and it's death. I was thinking about this. I think we, we throw the term sin around a lot. And even in churches, we may think we know what it means, or we may talk about like, we know what it means, but do we actually know what it means? And, and maybe we say it to someone else, assuming they know what we're talking about. But in, in short, here's, here's what sin could actually be translated to. Number one, sin could be translated to mean missing the mark. Missing the mark. It's an archery term. It means falling short of the bullseye, right? There's a standard, and you came short of hitting that standard. I have a friend who, uh, who works as an armed guard, and he owns a, a number of handguns, and once upon a time, he took me to a gun range. And you may not be for this or anything, but don't worry, it's a safe place where you can shoot guns. And at this particular time, I'd never shot a handgun ever before in my life, and so he takes, this, takes me to this place, and he shows me how to, how to carefully load and unload and stand and, and aim and fire and all that kind of stuff. And I kid you not, if you saw me holding this gun, you'd think I looked the part. Right, like I stood like a pro. I held that gun like a pro. I, you know, if, if it was a Hollywood movie, like I would be the the star of the of the film, you know, the movie. But not only not only did I come short of missing the bullseye, not only did I miss the mark, I didn't even make it on target. Right, like we we'd shoot and then we'd go down, and the target must have been like 20 meters, maybe 60 feet away. Right, we'd go down, and I'd be like looking at the paper, and there's nothing there. I, I came short. Sin means falling short of the standard, missing the mark. It could also mean slipping or falling or stumbling. This is the unintentional trespass. This is the, I didn't realize it, I did wrong. I didn't realize it was sin. I remember when I was growing up, I was literally getting taller, right? And I would literally stumble on my feet, not realizing that they were getting bigger. This is what this is. It's, it's the unintentional trespass. You didn't see it coming, but you did it. Sin could also mean crossing the line. This is intentionally, willfully, deliberately choosing to do something you know you might get in trouble for. If you think about when you see a, a no parking sign and you choose to park there anyway, you're like, that's ah, not going to hurt anyone. Or, you know, maybe you see a no trespass sign, but yet you still trespass because you know that no one's going to get hurt or no one's going to find out. That's what this is. This is crossing the, the line. And finally, it could mean lawlessness. This is the I don't care. The I don't care, I live by my own rules. Give me the list of do's and don'ts so I can don't and do them. Right? Give me the list of do's and don'ts so I can don't and do them. This is what sin is. The problem with sin is, is that it feels good in the moment. Right? We feel satisfied. Right? We feel justified. We feel the pleasure. We feel the release, the moment of satisfaction. And this is something that we'll see in Achan. We'll see, we'll see momentary desire and fulfillment. But like Paul says, and like we actually see in Achan as well, is there are wages that are earned in sin. There are wages that are earned in sin. There are consequences. You receive a payment when you sin. There is result beyond the momentary feeling of pleasure and justification. And the wages of sin is death. You're like, you're really talking about this this morning? Well, I have to because that's where we are in the story. Sin deserves death. Sin earns death. Not because of what it is. Not even because of the action or the thing itself, but because of who it is against. It's against a holy God. Death is the result of sin because it's a severance of the relationship that exists between humanity and a holy God who is life and who holds life in his hands. 
And so to separate yourself from life is death. It's a math equation. But, I like this but, but the gift of God, the gift of the holy, perfect God who is life and who holds in his hands is eternal life in Jesus. Come on, that's good news. That's good news. And I need you to hold on to that this morning. I need you to hold on to that when we look at this story. I need you to hold on to the but God, but the gift of God, right? The bad news is the wages, but the good news is, is that Jesus made a way to restore the severed relationship. He made a way. Who's thankful for a God who makes a way, right? That while we're still sinners, he died for us. That's good news, and it's important for us to remember. So the Israelites, uh, the Israelite people had just conquered the city of Jericho. If you were with us last, last week, we, we talked about this. They came to this city that had these incredibly fortified walls, impenetrable. And, and the people of Jericho had securely barred the gates because they heard what God was doing among the Israelites. They heard of what God was doing. But in order to continue into the promised land, the Israelites would have to conquer the city of Jericho. And God had a plan. March around the city for seven days, once a day. And on the seventh day, do it seven times. And at the end of the seven times, let out a shout. And the walls would collapse and the people could go in. But there was a caveat there was a condition, right? There was a boundary line. God would give them victory, and he has victory for them, but God had things in the city that he had devoted to himself to destruction that they needed to stay away from. If they didn't obey, it would be lawlessness. It would be sin, and they would be liable, right? There are wages to sin. It says this, God said in Joshua chapter 5, verse 18, it says, keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. That's formula, right? These things stay away or this is what's going to happen. And he goes on to say, otherwise, not only will you make your, uh, destruction, your own destruction by taking them, but otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. So take the city, take the ground, but stay away from these things. These are things that if you take them, they're devoted to me. If you take them, if you use them for yourself, you will bring about your own destruction and everyone will be liable. Everyone will be liable. And so the army took this city and they devoted everything to destruction. Men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, everything was devoted to destruction and all the goods and the gold and the silver were to be brought into the treasury of God. And that's what Joshua and the Israelites believed had happened. They believed that they did everything and accomplished everything as God had commanded. It even says in the scripture that the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. But somebody did something they weren't supposed to do. Somebody did something they weren't supposed to do. And that was Achan. Achan took some of the devoted things. He took some of them. He deliberately disobeyed the command of God, and he hid them from the people. Here's the reality, guys. You can hide your sin from people, but you can't hide your sin from an ancient God. Right? And we fool ourselves. He sees everything. He sees it all. He sees what you do in darkness. He sees what you do behind closed doors. He knows what you do when no one's around. He knows what you think all the time. You can't hide it from God. Achan thought he was hiding it. And he hid it from the people, but he couldn't hide it from God. And because of Achan's actions, the whole nation of Israel was impacted. It says in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, it says, But the Israelites were unfaithful in regards to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. Achan took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, God's anger burned against the whole nation. 
All of the Israelites were considered unfaithful because of one man's actions. Can I tell you, no man is an island. No man is an island. Your choices impact those around you, good or bad, small or large, significant or insignificant. Everything created has a seed from which it spreads itself after its kind. You can't plant corn and expect to get beets. You're going to get corn. You can't plant tulips and expect to get roses. You're going to get tulips. How many are thankful the tulips are starting to pop through a little bit, right? Yeah. You can't plant sin even in private and not expect to reap a harvest of consequences that are going to impact not only yourself but those around you. And we know this because we've all been there to some degree, right? We've been impacted by the choices of people around us, good or bad. You know, your spouse makes the decision and you're impacted because of it. Someone cuts you off on the road and you're impacted because of it. There are changes at work and you're impacted because of it, right? It's, it's just the nature of it, good or bad. We're impacted and the same is true for sin. Achan made a sinful decision in secret, in secret. And the whole nation was subject to the consequences. What he did in privacy impacted the whole publicly. It's deep. Now, what's interesting here, I thought, as a side note, is while Israel's fame was spreading among the land, God's anger was kindled against them. They think everything's going good. Everything's going good. We're conquering. You know, God is with us. We just took on the impenetrable city. We got that. God is with us. But God wasn't happy. See, fame and notoriety doesn't mean that God is behind you, right? The praise of man does not equate to the praise of God. Someone may be tooting your horn, but that doesn't mean that God is tooting your horn. I remember hearing a story of a, a church leader who was having an affair, but their ministry was growing. They were being unfaithful to their spouse, but their ministry was growing. They were a dynamic hum communicator. They had strategies for ministry, and the, people were meeting Jesus. And they had said, as I heard the story, it was many years ago, I think it was someone down in the States, but as I heard the story, they had said, well, God must be happy with me. Look at the fruit of my ministry. But if you know the stories of Scripture, you know that God has often used wicked nations to, to accomplish his purposes. The man's ministry eventually did collapse because sin, when it is full grown, leads to death. Israel's fame was spreading. People were hearing about it. But God's anger was growing. Meanwhile, Joshua, unbeknown to Achan sin, is planning his next move, right? He's, he's targeting AI. He sent out spies, which was an, an effective strategy in the past. He had done it. He had sent out spies for Jericho, but there was a difference this time. If you look at the, the story, there's no mention or indication of Joshua or anyone consulting God. There's, there's no mention of Joshua leading the people into battle as he had in the past. And the report that these spies give have no mention of God at all or his promises. And unlike the report that the spies sent when they went into Jericho, or unlike the report from Joshua and Caleb when they originally were sent in the promised land, this report lacked God. And it suggests to me, suggests to me that their strategy was based on human judgment. Check this out, verse 3. It says, not all of the army will have to go up against Ai. Send maybe two or 3,000 men to take it. Do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. Sounds like common sense, reasonable. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. Now, I think if they would have consulted God, he would have revealed there's something in the camp. There's something in the camp that's removing my blessing. There's something in the camp that's going to prohibit you from having success here. I wonder this morning, is there something in your life that's preventing God's blessing on your life? 
Is there something inside of us, something around us that's preventing God's blessing? Joshua didn't think so either, right? Joshua didn't think so, but he, if he would just pause and talk to God, lives would have been spared. God, examine me and search me. Psalms 139, or sorry, yeah, 139 says, see if there's any offense in me. Is there anything in me? Maybe I don't know of it, but is there something in me? Is there something in me that's preventing your blessing? See, when we leave unconfessed sin in our hearts, it takes root and acts like a chain and holds us back from experiencing God's blessing. So there was sin in the camp, and the whole community was affected. Achan's sin caused the blessing to be held back, and 36 people lost their lives. Because he stole things that were devoted to destruction, he brought about destruction to others. We fool ourselves if we think sin only affects us. We fool ourselves if we think it only affects us. And I think that's, that's also a lie of the enemy. It says no one's going to know, no one's going to find out, and no one's going to be hurt. It's just... It's just it's just you and me. Nobody, nobody knows. But we fool ourselves. Just because others don't even know your sin doesn't mean that they're not being hurt by it. I wasn't, I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share this. I was the product of that. I come from a broken home. My parents went through a very messy divorce. And their choices impacted my life. And their choices impacted my life and now impact my kids' lives. Your choices impact the, cho- the, the, the lives of people around you. Sin impacts the, the, the lives of people around you. So Joshua is here beside himself, saying, what's going on, God? He's starting to tear clothes. What's, what's happening? Are you not with us? Why would you bring us across the Jordan just to destroy us? He's got no idea why this is happening. I love God's response. God's like, stand up. There's sin in Israel. There's sin in Israel. That's why they can't stand against their enemies. The sin of one crippled the whole community from moving forward. The sin of one crippled the whole community from moving forward. So tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, man by man, the people are brought out. Whoever is caught with the devoted things will be destroyed along with all that belongs to them. See, the wages of sin is death. And we know that we're impacted by those around us and their choices. Look at Adam and Eve, right? There, the original sin of Adam and Eve impacted all of humanity, All of us sin. All of us have a sinful nature because of the choice of the original sin in Adam and Eve. So one by one they come, and Achan comes, and in his confession, he reveals something about the nature of desire. It says this. It says, when I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and I took them. I saw it, and I wanted it. How many of you have ever seen something you really want, right? And you just, there's something you're like, oh man, I gotta have that. I gotta have that. I gotta, I gotta do whatever I gotta do. And sometimes it's not even bad stuff. We know what it's like. I saw it, he says. I desired it. And so I took it. And that's the same thing Eve did in the Garden of Eden when she saw the fruit and was tempted by the serpent, by Satan. She saw that it was good for food and pleasing and desirable for wisdom. And so she, she took it. The thing is not sinful in and of itself, right? The desire isn't sinful. Here's what James chapter 1 says, verse 14 says, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. It's pregnancy language, right? Some of you moms who, you know this. 
It's pregnancy language. It's development language. If we let ungodly desire incubate in us, it's going to grow into sin. Like we got to cut it off before it even takes hold. Because if we let it just sit there, it's going to grow. You see something you want and you don't cut it off, it's going to grow. It's going to grow and eventually become sin. And then sin, when it grows, it's going to grow. If it's not, it's not repented of, it's not confessed, it's going to grow and it's going to lead to death. Spiritual math. Here's something you need to hold on to. Sin grows in secret. Sin grows in secret. God is light. Sin is darkness. So when we keep sin in darkness, it grows. It's its nutrient. It's the fertilizer of sin. It's secrecy. And the enemy wants, wants it to remain in secrecy. He has power in secrecy because he knows when your sin is brought to the light, it dies. And he doesn't want that. He wants to trap you. He wants to hold you back. He wants you to prevent you from stepping into the blessings of God. He wants to prevent you from having freedom. So he wants you to keep it secret because that's where it grows. It incubates. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says this, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But, another but, the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We're trying to teach uh, Eli um, that there's, there's less consequences when he's honest and there's greater consequences when, when he lies. And so the other day I pick him up from school and he gets in the car and we're driving home. And I'm like, hey buddy, how's your day? He's like, guess what? I'm like, what? He goes, I snuck some toys into school today. And there's part of me, because we've been on him for this, there's part of me that's just like, oh. But then I'm like, I, I kind of check myself. Perfect opportunity, because he was honest. I said, you know, buddy, you know you're not allowed to do that. We've actually had letters sent home to all the SK and JK students that they're not allowed to bring toys in, only on certain days when it's their show and share day. So I'm like, buddy, you know you're not allowed to do that. But thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. And he says to me, well, now that I was honest, do I get a treat? <laughs> no, that's the consequence. No treat for you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Ephesians 5, verse 8 says this, For you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. When you bring sin to the light, it dies, people. It dies. It gets choked out. When, it, when in, it's in secret, it grows. But when it's in the light, it dies. And if we want to take ground in our lives... If you want to take ground in your hearts and in your minds, if you want to overcome that, that thing that you've been battling with, if you want to take ground in your home and in your family, then you need to search yourself, examine yourself. Is there something in you that needs to come to the light? Get it out. Get it out. Expose it. Confess it. Confess it. Confess it. Confess it to God. And do you know what the scriptures also say? It says to confess to one another. Because sometimes I think it's easy to confess to God but still hide it from others. I can say, okay, God, I did this, you know, help me to get right with you and whatnot. But I don't know if that's really true until I can go and confess the person that also impacts. So I say, hey, listen, I've wronged you. I've wronged you. And that dismantles the power of the enemy. It dismantles the power of the enemy. Because now you've brought accountability into the mix, right? 
no longer he, can, he, he can't trap you. Because yeah, you've talked to God about it, but you also told somebody else. Because that somebody else can say, hey, listen, how are you doing on this? How are you doing in this area? Confess to one another. Confess to one another. Achan saw it and he took it. And he knew it was wrong, and so he hid it, and the sin grew. And the consequence, the wages that were earned for him was that he and his family were put to death. And that might seem kind of harsh for us, right? That might seem kind of harsh for us to look at, seem unfair, but we tend to judge the seriousness of sin by its perceived personal and relational impact. Right? How's it gonna impact me and how's it gonna impact those around me? But that's not how God judges sin. God doesn't say, well, this one's a little bit lighter because no one's not gonna hurt anyone. You know, we'll let this one slide. Or he's like, that's a big one. That's gonna hurt a few people. That's not how God judges sin. All sin, whether it's small in our eyes or not, is offensive to a holy God. All sin. The little white lie deserves death. Not because the sin was necessarily bad, but because of who it was sinned against. A holy, perfect God. Achan sinned against a holy, perfect God. And further, his sin largely impacted those around him. 36 people lost their lives. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us today? That was Old Testament. That was thousands of generations ago. What does that mean for us today, 2019, sitting in Corona Parkway Church? Here's what it means. Sin always requires death. Always. Pastor Cole, this is a really hard thing that you're talking about right now. I don't like this. I can't avoid scripture. I'm not a, I'm not a good preacher. I'm not a good pastor if I avoid the tough stuff. Right? You gotta come with grace and we gotta come with truth. Sin always requires death. That's the wages of sin. That's New Testament scripture. The wages of sin is death. And when we sin against God, a chasm is created. There is separation. Nothing can separate you from his love, the scriptures say. Nothing can separate. And he will relentlessly pursue you. He will relentlessly pursue you till the day you die. But sin causes a chasm. It causes a chasm from his holiness, from his presence. And the only way to fix that is through atonement. So in the Old Testament, they had the sacrificial system. They had the sacrificial system. They made animal, animal sacrifices, a death to pay the sin. It was a substitution. You know where I'm going with this, right? It's a life for a life. And this is still the case. 2019, it still needs atonement. It still needs atonement. The difference now is the act of substitutionary atonement has been made by the perfect holy God who has sinned against. See, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Come on, can I get an amen, somebody? That is good news. Sin, your sin, my sin, the sin you committed before you came to church, the sin you did yesterday, the sin you did nobody knows about, the thing that you've hidden under the carpet, it deserves death. The gift of God is, is eternal life in Christ Jesus, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The atonement has been made, the penalty has been paid, the, the wages have been passed off because somebody paid it. God is forgiving in his love, but he is just, and your sin requires justice. And so he says, I'm gonna make a way for you. I'm gonna make a way for you. You're not gonna have to pay this like Achan did. You're not gonna have to pay the penalty like Achan did. I'm gonna pay it for you. I'm gonna pay it for you. I'm gonna pay it for you. So he paid for the wages and the scriptures say, therefore, those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. I think about the story of the woman that was caught in adultery 
She's caught in the act, caught in the moment. She's dragged before Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious people, they're trying to trap him, right? So they bring her, throw him before in the law of the Old Testament because life for life, sin needs atonement, required that her sin required death by stoning. That's, that's what the Old Testament law was. So they drag before Jesus. And Jesus starts writing in the sand. There's many different people think different things. He started to list the Ten Commandments or he started writing about sin or whatever. But then he looks up and he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And so one by one with the oldest, the most wise, right, to the youngest, they started to drop their stones and walk away. And then he looks at the woman and he says, who here condemns you? And she, she looks up and says, no one. He says, neither do I condemn you. Catch this. He's the one that could have thrown the stone. He who is without sin cast the first stone. He didn't have any sin. The one who could pick up the stone by the law, provide justice in that moment, said, I don't condemn you. Because he knew what he came to do. He came to die on the cross for that sin. He came to make a way for that sin. He says, yes, this is not good. And he says, go and sin no more. Go and live a life of no sin. But you need to know that even when you sin, I'm a good father who loves you and has made a way for you. There might be consequences. There might still be consequences. There's a ripple effect. It still might impact people. But the death penalty has been paid. The eternal penalty has been paid. This is good news, people. Sin is serious. Still today it requires death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen to that. Amen to that. So this morning, I want us to do two things. Is it just in the quietness as the team just plays? I want us to just take a moment, bow our heads, close our eyes. I just want us to examine ourselves, search ourselves. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message blessed and encouraged you and brought you closer with Jesus. If you liked what you heard, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning right here in Corona at 10 a.m. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.